Well, good morning, Bel Air. I see a lot of the 6 p.m. crowd here. Uh, something going on this afternoon. Nice. We've got options, of course, at Bel Air. Four services. It was interesting watching the 6, a, 6 p.m.ers at the 9 a.m. walking in. And uh, it's, a, it's an exciting day as we gather and worship. You know, speaking of prayer, uh, we mentioned that prayer initiative and even that song that, that Kendall so um, beautifully wrote to give as a gift to this congregation. If, for those of you who have been part of this church, as we ended 2014 and as we stepped in this year, I asked us to consider what would it look like for us to become a praying church, not just a church that prays. And so I've invited all of us, myself included, to go on a journey to, to become more than just people that pray among many things, but to be praying people, that all that we do, that we would begin to have new patterns in our life, that we would begin to pray in different ways. I found myself praying about... Oh, 45 minutes ago when I got a text from my wife and said, the laundry room has flooded, and I made a decision at 10.50 to drive down the hill to help move a, a washer-dryer, uh, I was praying that I'd make it back in time, a minute back in time, but you might think, how did you do that? Don't you live in Newbury Park? Well, we moved two days ago to Encino, so we're right down the hill, nice and close, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little sore, so if I'm, if I'm doing this while I'm preaching... Uh, you know why. But I'm excited to see that I'm part of a church family that more than 300 of us have signed up for this prayer initiative. Over 300 people have committed to at least one hour a week. And there are many of you in this room. And why don't we put that image up one more time. This is uh, out in our lobby area. We call it the Narthex. And this huge calendar You'll notice those little colors, if you haven't seen it, those are sticky notes with names on it. If you're watching online, I imagine this will go up there as well. But those names, of course, the 7 a.m. hour is very popular. You can see the cluster, you know, right down there, that's 7 a.m. Monday, um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We've got the whole week covered. And the, the idea is, is that we would commit to an hour a week for the entire year. Now, it's exciting for me not to, just to see the numbers... And not just to see that we only have three spots left to cover every hour of the 24-7 period, but what excites me is that we have people stepping out and changing the pattern of their life, who are praying and saying the same thing to the disciples, the thing that caused Kendall to write that song to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. How do we do this? And I want to give you some encouragement. If some of you signed up for this and maybe you forgot a, a, a day, it's okay. I forgot my Friday slot this past week. I was in the middle of moving and I just, it, I, all of a sudden, oh, I didn't pray. Well, it's okay. We haven't ended the initiative. Uh, we're still covering the whole year in prayer. Uh, yes, I didn't pray. But we have a God who continually invites us. Doesn't say, you missed your hour. Make it back up to me in some other hour. No, he says, Come. And so in the midst of this series, I want to invite you, if you're not part of this prayer initiative, you can again see that text that's going to come up in a moment. You can pull out your phones even right now in church and text that number, the word prayer. You can sign up. You'll get a link immediately texted right back to your cell phone. You can follow that link. You can sign up, find resources on how to pray and find prayer guides, different things that we can engage in so that as a church we can become a praying church, that everything we do is saturated and grounded in prayer. But again, we're in the middle of this prayer series, and prayer's tough, especially in this world where, where things are difficult, things aren't always easy. It's not like we just call God up and He 
is there on the phone, sitting there talking with us. It seems like sometimes he's silent. Sometimes we have questions. Well, today we're going to talk about what does it mean for us in the midst of the hurt of our life to still explore our access with God. Now, you remember, if you've been with us in this series, that we have access to God, Ephesians 3 tells us, through faith and trust in Jesus. We don't have to pray the right prayer to get access. There's no magic word, abracadabra, no special key, but simply through faith and trust in Jesus, we have access to God. So therefore, prayer is then what you do with that access. Interacting with God, continuing the conversation that He's already begun with you. But what happens when you experience hurt? Well, we're going to take a look at a really powerful prayer. If you have your Bibles, why don't you pull those out? They're in the pew in front of you. If you're online, you can go to Acts chapter 7. Again, if you're in the room, it's on page 891. We're in the New Revised Standard Version. And this is in the book of Acts. If you remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are our gospel writers. Acts is written by Luke. And in many ways, it's the second half of the good news about Jesus, but this is the 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's pictures, snapshots of the early church following Jesus, putting into practice this way of life. And something happens here at the end of chapter 7. I want to read this out loud to you. And as you hear this, this is... This is violent language, but this is the world that we live in, and we do not need a dumbed-down message in a world where we experience so much hurt and so much brokenness and so much pain. So hear these words. This is Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 54. When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. This, my friends, is God's word. Talk about hurt. To be stoned to death is one of the most violent, one of the most vicious forms of capital punishment. And in many ways, um, perhaps none of us will ever experience physical pain quite like that, yet we all know hurt. We're not immune from hurt. You know that old nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones? But they got the second half wrong because really it's words that can utterly destroy me. It's not that they never hurt us, they utterly destroy us. And so some of us have experienced physical hurt, We've experienced emotional hurt. We've experienced verbal hurt, relational hurt, psychological hurt, even spiritual hurt. So what do we do with the hurt in our lives? You know, it's very easy to think that if we have hurt in our life, then somehow God is punishing us or or that we don't have access to God. But we see right here very clearly this great man of God, Stephen, experiencing tremendous hurt for God's sake. This is the first martyr, the first person killed for his faith. 
But who is he talking to? And who is the group that stoned him to death? Who is this? Well, later you can read in chapter 6 where the church was exponentially growing. And there was so many needs in the community that the priests and the disciples who were serving didn't have the time or even the ability to serve the needs of the poor. And so what they did was they, they chose seven men to be deacons. You know, we have this ministry at this church. We have deacons that cover 550 geographical square miles of this city in different neighborhoods who have been identified, who have been commissioned, who are sent out to serve. And all of that started in Acts chapter 6. And Stephen was one of those deacons. And it said in here that the church exponentially grew because not only did they hear the Word of God preached, but they saw the Word of God enacted. People were coming to faith. Lives were transformed. The poor, the oppressed, the marginalized were brought in. But there was a group of priests we see towards the end of chapter 6 that began arguing with Stephen, but he's filled with so much wisdom that they feel trapped. They arrest him. These aren't enemies. This isn't the Roman Empire. These are the priests. These are representatives of God. And it's so easy for us to, when we think about people that hurt us, to think of people very other than us. But it's really true that sometimes the people closest to us, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's those in this room, part of our church family, hurt us the deepest. It could be the shallow sting of sarcasm or it could be the deep cut of betrayal and rejection. We know hurt. And what do we do with that hurt? Well, Stephen, he gives this, this speech after he's arrested. He gives this huge history lesson. At the very end of the history lesson, he levels an accusation against these priests. He says, it was you. You were the one that killed the righteous one. You killed him. But that's not what caused them to hurt him with stones. This is what happened. Take a look again if you have your Bibles. Open them back up to verse 55. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of this city and began to stone him. What happened there? Well, before we unpack what happened, let's, let's take a look at how we as humans often deal with, with hurt. You know, as humans, when we are hurt by somebody, whether it's a coworker, a friend, a child, a parent, a spouse, a neighbor, a roommate, we experience this hurt, and typically we respond in one of two ways. We either get passive or we get payback. And many of us, we can relate to perhaps the first option, we get passive. When people say things or do things, we, we, we kind of get silent. We hold it in. And the problem is we absorb that hurt. We absorb that pain. And it's very misleading if we listen to the teachings of Jesus. We think that when he says stuff like, okay, if somebody strikes you in the cheek, turn and offer them the other cheek. We think that Jesus is saying, just be passive, just be nice, just be good Christians. But that's not at all what he's saying. You see, Jesus was never passive. Stephen is not passive here. But it's so easy for us to fall into that pattern of just being passive that after a while our identity, our very nature is a victim. 
And we absorb it and we absorb it and we absorb it and we think that in forgiving the other that we have to pay down that debt. You see, to forgive means that you're paying down that debt. It doesn't just materialize in the air. And we misunderstand forgiveness if we think that we just have to absorb it and to stay passive. But some of us, we don't, we don't want to deal with that passivity. We want, to, we want to pay it back. And whether it's on the freeway or it's, or it's our reputation in the office or, or it's a spouse or it's an ex or whatever it might be, it's so easy for us to, to want to pay that back. Rather than absorb the debt and pay it ourselves. we make others pay it. And after a while, not a victim, we, we feel vindicated. When the person who wronged us or said that thing about us, we say, you know, in the, in the office space, just loud enough for people to hear something that would tarnish their image. Man, we do this with our spouses, with our body language. We, we, in the tone of our voice, with our parents, we do little things that really it's about us getting payback. So when we receive hurt, if we just get passive, the problem is, is that that hurt, it sticks with us, it grows, it festers. And if we get payback, we don't get rid of that hurt, it actually, it multiplies and the other person experiences that hurt. How do we turn hurt into healing? How do we get rid of that hurt? How do we allow God to redeem that? It's not through being passive, it's not through getting payback, it's doing exactly what Stephen did. He wasn't passive. He didn't get paid back. He, he acted like a priest. Now, as I say that, I imagine some of you, especially if you grew up, let's say, in the Catholic faith. I, I went to Catholic junior high and high school. And I, when I hear the word priest, I think of someone with a white collar. I think of someone that you go to for confession, somebody who distributes the sacraments of the Eucharist. And maybe some of you, when you hear the word priest, different images come to mind. But it's important to understand that this language of priest actually started all the way back in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament. And it was a group of people set apart, set aside within the nation of Israel, within God's people. And their task was that they were given access to God on behalf of all the people. And so they were considered holy. They were considered in some ways righteous. And they would go through all these rituals and, and sacrifices and purification and cleansing, and they would go on behalf of the people to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. They would once a year go into the most holy of holies where the presence of God was experienced, where nobody else could go and they had access to God. But it was always on behalf of the other people. But the problem is, is that after every year, after every decade, after every century, after millennia, thousands of years... In their access to God, they forgot that they had access on behalf of others. And so this self-righteous nature began to fester within them. They never approached God anymore with humility on behalf of others. They approached God with, with this pride, with this arrogance. They looked down their noses at others. They were in, everybody else was out. Only they had access to God, and if you did exactly what they taught, then maybe you too would have access to God. But Jesus came, and he was, in many ways, flipping all of that upside down. So we didn't have to go through others to have access to God, but simply through faith and trust in Jesus that we have a direct access to him. Paul says that one of the early leaders of the church, he says that we have access to God through faith 
in Jesus. And so Stephen, not a priest, but a deacon, not trained, not rising up in that priestly order, he didn't get ordained, he didn't get commissioned as a priest. The reason why he gets stoned to death is because he is experiencing that access to God. And they thought, the priests thought, there's no way he is allowed. He's not a priest. He shouldn't have access to God. And so he has this image of God in heaven crying out, I, I see the Lord and I see him. And the priests, because they were so focused on themselves, they were so focused on their own access, they forgot about being on behalf of the others that they, that they, that they stoned him. They killed him. And in that access that Stephen had, he actually put into practice what the priests should have always done. To not only have access to God, but to have access to God on behalf of other people. And so in the midst of getting stoned, in the midst of getting hurt, he says two things. He prays two prayers. There are two prayers that Jesus prayed from the cross. Father, I give you my spirit. I commit to you my spirit. There's no question of his access to God. He knows exactly where he's going. And with full confidence and full assurance, he says, I'm coming to you. But remember, priests, they had access to God, not just for their benefit, but they had access to God on behalf of other people. And, and Stephen, he prayed the same prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross. Not just, I'm coming to you, Father, but remember Jesus prayed from the cross? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And Stephen prays, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do you realize, and maybe you've heard this often, maybe you've never heard this before, but Scripture says that the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, whether that was 30 years ago or maybe it's three minutes from now, with empty hands of faith, if you receive Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, not only do you have access to God, but God then sets you apart and He calls you a priest. You don't have to wear the collar. You don't have to have a certain amount of education. You don't have to get ordained. But Scripture says, actually 1 Peter 2 says that we are part of, because Jesus is the great high priest, we are the priesthood of all believers. And for us to function as priests, not just the people that attend and listen to a pastor teach, but if we were to function as priests, we would know that we have direct access to God, not just for our forgiveness, not just for our assurance of pardon, but we also have access to God on behalf of other people. And it creates this interesting dynamic of absolute humility because it's not our perfection that gives us access to God. It's what Jesus has done. But it also gives us a confidence because while the earthly courts may look at us and say, you're worthless, you have no value, you're not loved, while we might be found guilty in the earthly courts and we experience the hurt because of that, we have a heavenly court. It's the superior court that says that you are not guilty, that you are loved, that you were called out of darkness and it was marvelous light, that you are welcome, you have access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when you understand that you have that sort of love that cannot be shaken, cannot be taken away, when you have a reputation that cannot be tarnished in Christ 
that no matter the hurt, no matter the pain, no matter what your spouse or your kids or your parents or your coworkers or your neighbors or even people on the freeway do to you, those things don't have the last word in your life. Jesus does. And would you, would I actually live into that priestly role. I know that's a word that has so much cultural things that we've added on to it, but it's really, we have access to God on behalf of other people. In a moment, I'm going to give us some space to act as priests. For us to, to reflect silently on the access that we have to God through faith and trust in Jesus to be able to confess the ways that we've hurt others. Remember that humility part? We hurt people. We hurt ourselves. And God invites us to acknowledge that in our hearts before Him and to ask for forgiveness. And He is faithful to forgive because we have a high priest that has already gone ahead of us. So part of us being a a priest is asking for forgiveness, having access to God. But also it's, it's to forgive others. It's not to pay down the debt yourself by being passive and a victim. It's not making others pay down the debt by paying them back. It doesn't vanish in the air, but actually it's been paid. Jesus paid it all. And I'm telling you, it is absolutely impossible for me to forgive people that I think about 30 years ago that did things, that said things, that I still experienced their hurt. It's impossible for me to forgive them if I only look at them and try to generate forgiveness on my own. But if I look at Jesus, if I look at the links that he went to, to not only pay for that, but to begin to heal that, to restore those things in my life, the more I look at Jesus, the more I'm able to be humble but also confident to forgive. Scripture says that Stephen couldn't do that on his own. He needed the Holy Spirit to guide him, to empower him, to equip him. And as always, when we gather, there are some people here that have put their faith and trust in Jesus, but always there's people who are just checking this thing out that are trying to figure out Christianity. And maybe some part of this, this is is desirable, this is enticing. Be able to not be passive or, or pay people back, but to actually have your hurt begin to be healed. Well, simply through faith and trust in Jesus by just saying, okay, Jesus, I don't know all that there is about you, but I trust you. I want to follow you. I want you to be my priest. I want you to be my mediator to God in heaven. In that moment, Scripture says that God looks at you and says that that you're forgiven. And you receive God's Spirit and you can begin to receive the, the, the strength and the power and even the heart to forgive others. So I want to pray for our time, and when I'm done praying, we're just going to have a few minutes of silence as we hear even some some things in the background. But I I just feel compelled particularly to pray for those in this room that perhaps have never put their faith in Jesus. So if you would allow me, let's, let's pray together. When I'm done, we'll go to our time of confession and forgiveness. God, in this space, it's impossible to forgive without receiving strength from you, words from you, a heart from you. And for those in this room that are checking out this faith, who are exploring what it means to be a follower of Christ, I pray that they would have this space in this moment to turn to you perhaps for the first time and to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know all of what that means, but I'm 
I'm tired of having the driver's wheel of my life. I want to hand it over to you. And God, I pray that you would remind them that once they put their faith and trust in you, that forever they're your people, they're your children, that they are forgiven, that they now have a purpose and a hope that cannot be taken away. And God, for those of us in the room that have put our faith and trust in you, would we be reminded today that, God, you have given us access to you through your son Jesus. May we come and confess our sins to you, not needing a human mediator to do it for us. We can go right to you. But also, God, give us the strength to forgive those that have hurt us by turning our attention to you, Jesus, who paid it all. And would you turn our hurt and the healing? Would you begin to unwind the knots and bind the wounds and be a solve to the, the scars of our life? God, knowing that you have the last word. So Jesus, we give you this time. And in this silence, we thank you that you hear our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen.